This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Started. Welcome, everybody. Thank you all for joining. Thank you all for our virtual viewers. So tonight, obviously, we are learning Le'iluni Shmat, Rav Zechariah Shimon Ben Yitzchak HaKohen. We're also learning Le'iluni Shmat to Avram Ben Chaim Yehuda and Yecheskel Ben Abraham. Also, for a for Rachel Esther. So now, um, the you know the entire Klali struggle, you know, I, I think is mourning. I don't know. I think I know is mourning is at a loss, and even more so, it came as a shock for many people. Uh, many people were not expecting this, um, and and that just makes. It makes everything a lot more difficult to handle. I know a lot of people that I've been speaking to had, you know, have a, have a hard time, you know, dealing with it because it wasn't something that anybody was expecting. He was so young and, you know, he was doing so much for, for everyone and, you know, now he's not here anymore. You know, the, the funeral was Monday. Monday, I was like in a different world. I, I couldn't, I couldn't focus. Uh, but um, Tuesday, I decided that I was going to give a class in his, you know, to, to speak a little bit about what he accomplished and what we can gain, what we can take away, something for you know, even his his neshama. And I spent the past two days, well, not today really, but but Tuesday and Wednesday, calling people, uh, speaking to people, interviewing people, people that had a sort of a connection with him or something that they were able to get. And, and Baruch Hashem, I was able to really speak to a lot of people. And I want to, first of all, I want to thank a special thank you uh, to my dear friend, Moshe Sofer, who was able to, first of all, connect me to many people, able, you know, gave me a few, few ideas. And, um, and I, re- I really spent a special thank you for him. And by the way, it was, it was, everybody should really give a special thank you to him. Uh, during COVID, uh, Rev. Zechariah Wallerstein did not, uh, you know, there was not really that many classes going on. Moshi Sofer was the one person that was going into people's, you know, houses, you know, uh, to, 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 the only one to be able to record the classes and to be able to post it online so that people be able to get some sort of, uh, inspiration. So, uh, you know, very, very special thank you to Moshe. So for, besides all the other things, which I'm not going to get to that he does, but, but, uh, um, especially for this class, a really special thank you. I also want to thank everybody that sent me their stories. I spoke to the people that I spoke to. Uh, many people want to remain anonymous, so I'm not going to mention their name. Uh, but those that did, didn't mind mentioning, I will mention name when the story comes. So the way that I want to structure this is I, I spoke to a lot of people. And, uh, those stories that I heard personally, I'm going to tell over. But besides the personal stories that I heard from people, I also want to bring up, there's a lot of videos that were circulating, there are a lot of clips that were circling that a lot of people may have already seen or heard. Uh, and I do want to bring those up again because there are certain aspects, there's a reason why it was circulated and I want to take out a little bit of a, of a lesson from that. The, you, you know, when, when you, when you think of, of Rabbi Wallerstein, he was such a dynamic person. He, he touched so many people, and most people know him for the work that he did with, you know, the kids at risk, teens at risk. He was able to bring back so many, so many boys and girls. And it's not only, like, spiritually. People, you know, like, you think as a rabbi who does help in the community and outreach, so it's just a spirit. It wasn't just spiritually. It was emotionally. It was intellectually. And, and again, I'm not speaking to everybody, because I couldn't, but the people that I spoke to and people that were going through this, you could really see how they were so 
you know, like like in a bad place in everything in life. In the in you know in the physical sense, in the intellectual, in the emotional sense, forget about the emotional sense, in the spiritual sense, and he was able to take that person and that broken person and put him in such a health or her in such a healthy place that they were able to build a family. They were able to continue a legacy of Torah. They were able to continue a legacy of a normal life, even though they came from from broken homes or from difficult situations. The idea, and, and by the way, it, I, I don't think, I, I think thousands, if not, I don't know, I don't know if it's too much to say tens of thousands, but I would venture to say tens of thousands of homes nowadays are healthy, emotionally and spiritually, because of Rabbi Zechariah Wallerstein. And, and I, I think the reason why I really want to do this, people people know him as a speaker, you know, people know, but, but he was so much more than that. Besides the fact that he was in a, a Amazing, like like a, a, a unbelievable speaker, but he was m- so much more that people don't realize. You know, before before he came around and opened up Ornava and all his you know future programs, there wasn't really a place that uh, you know girls, women could go and get inspiration. You know, like the. The idea of let's say a woman going to a shear, so so it's amazing and and it always existed. It always, I mean, you know, for the past, at least you know in America, it always it always existed. But there was something very different about Robert Wallerstein, and that was that he was he was like a working guy. He was a guy that was out there. He was able to relate to people, and I can't tell you how many times I heard this over the past you know few days, and how he was re- able to relate to so many different people. He was able to relate from from anybody from that's an atheist. To, you know, the most yeshivisha from a, you know, you know, uh, person. He was able to, from, from all spectrum, the entire, the entire gamut from one far end to the other. Like, it's, it's crazy how you had somebody that was able to relate personally and people were able to like, oh yeah, you know, like I could connect with him from so many different factions, fractions of life. Now, so before he came, there wasn't really a place that a girl could go to get inspiration. It wasn't like to connect that the way that he was able to connect and, he was able, and I spoke to a lot of, you know, even like regular normal girls, like the, like not not a broken home, not a, you know at risk teen, just like a regular normal girl that you know was doing her thing with shaduchim, and then she was doing her thing with uh, you know college, and she was doing her work, everything, and then they had Ornava. they had the the aspect they were able to connect the Yiddish guy, and you, you know, like I, I know I spoke to somebody that was in the shiva house, what. Many people said, like, you know, he never, I never met him personally. He never met me, but he was my rabbi. He was my rabbi. Like, I could connect with him. He was able to connect people from, from all different areas. And, and this is something that didn't exist so much before he came around. You know, the, he was, he was Nifter early Monday morning. And again, like I said before, a shock to many, many people. By 11, 11 a.m. was his Leviah. And you think from, you know, the Leviah was very quick, and, and he said in Leviah that was, you know, one of his requests. He wanted to, he wanted to, you know, to be buried as fast as possible, and he was going to be flown to Israel. So, uh, he was next to early morning, early Monday morning, and it was a few hours later, his Leviah. So you think, like, how many people can, you know, show up? So, you know, you know, Baruch Hashanah was, Zoka was able to go and, and be there. The place was packed. The pl- the pl- I don't know if anybody here was there. I'm sure there was a few people here that that you know that were by the by, by the Leviah. The place was jammed packed. 
I came like a few minutes early and I had to stand. There was no room for a first setting. And I was like, oh, okay, fine. So, you know, I drove from New Jersey to try to get there. I saw like a handful of people from like all over the place, from like New Jersey also. And not only that, his students went and flew with him to Israel. You know what dedication that is, by the way? Give a, a, a huge shout out to those, to those students. That besides the fact of the cost of a pro, of a ticket to fly from one day to the next, but they went with him and they flew with him and they, some of them spoke at the Leviah. They flew with him to Israel to you know and and you know to to escort him basically to his kvura to his burial. And not only that, so you think okay, fine. A lot of people showed up to you know Ornava to the, to the place that he's. You want to know how many people? I reached out to Torah Time you know today. Shimon Shimon Kalyakov, one of the founders of Torah Time, a dear friend of mine. Over 150,000 people saw the Leviathan. 150, he touched so many people, we don't even begin to understand. And not only that, one of the girls was explaining to me that even what he taught was relatable. You know, you have a lot of speakers that they speak about the greatness of a certain tzaddik, the greatness of a certain gadol, the greatness of a certain, you know, you, you know, leader of the Jewish nation. But, the way that Rav Zechariah Wallstein went and he spoke, he also spoke about the difficulties of this tzaddik. He made even the tzaddik relatable. He made even the tzaddik be able to, okay, so now, now he was able to overcome his tests. He was able, able to overcome his, you know, his situation, so maybe I can overcome mine. He was able to connect everything. And, and I honestly don't think people realize what we lost. Even people that are close to him, I, I don't think I don't think we realize what we lost. You know, when when, when people go and they listen to his shear, they you know they say they listen to it and they get they get hooked. They get they get hooked in it. And in fact, you know, I was speaking to somebody and he was telling me that you know he was going. He was a teenager and he was going to a certain rabbi who was giving like an amazing shear. He was like a, like an unbelievable class, a weekly class. And he met one of his friends. And he told his friends, he says, you got to hear my rabbi speak. you got to come to the lectures. And it wasn't Rabbi Zechariah Wilson. The other guy was going to Rabbi Zechariah Wilson. He says, you got to go to my rabbi because my rabbi speaks so amazing. And they were like, okay, you know what? We got to do the, you know, the also true. is like, you come to mine, I come to you, then we finalize it. I don't know what happened at the end with the other rabbi, but all I can tell you is that this guy went to Rabbi Zechariah Wilson's year. He said he was sat there for two hours mesmerized. He says that was 18 years ago. He he was he was he was hooked on Rabbi Zechariah Wilson for the next eighteen years, the entire time he was hooked on him. You know, Shimon Kalyakov, one of the founders of Torah Anytime. Uh, you know, I was speaking to him today, and I was like, you know, it's like when did Rabbi Zechariah Wilson get onto Torah Anytime? So he got in on about a year and a half in. What happened was, is that Rabbi Wallerstein was speaking in Queens, and Shimon and Ruben Kalyakov, the founders of Torah Anytime, they lived, uh, you know, originally they come from they're from Queens. And the, you know, Rabbi Wallace was speaking at the shul over there. And he was a guest speaker. And Shimon Kalyakov says, I got so hooked on him. They said, Rabbi, he says, you know, can I record you on, you know, all your shirim? And he, and he himself personally would go and drive in. Rabbi Zachary Wallace used to give a boys class every Tuesday night in Ar Yitzchak. Uh, you know, actually, that I'm also very close to with the Wallersteins. They're, they're, they're cousins. And they're named, Ar Yitzchak is named after Rabbi Zachary's father. So Shimon Kolyakov would personally go, the founder of Tarnab, personally go from Queens every Tuesday night to Brooklyn to record Rabbi Wallerstein's, Wallerstein's, you know, speeches. And now, you know, thanks to him, we have, you know, hundreds of hundreds of speeches that we would have never had. 
And, you know, it, it's, it's something that, you know, when, when you think about it, you know, when you think about the idea that, that Klal Yisrael, the Jewish nation, we, Baruch Hashem, we have many, many special people. We have many people that do amazing things, amazing amount of chesed. In fact, we have um, amazing speakers, great speakers. But when you speak about Rabbi Zechariah Wallace, you know, it's, it's a different level. It's a different level. He gave his all to Klal Yisrael. He gave, literally, he gave his all to Kassel. And I have to tell you, like, I had Baruch Hashem, I had interactions with him, and, you know, I met with him a few times, and I spoke to him a few times, but, of course, only after a person leaves this world, he realizes his greatness. And at the past two days, when I was on the phone with all these different types of people, meeting all these different types of people from all, from all, from all over the world, it's something that we didn't even realize. I'm so happy that I was able to have the merit to give this class, because so many people don't know they just don't know what he did. You know, he started off um, teaching in a yeshiva called the Yeshiva of Crown Heights. It happened to be it was in Mill Basin, but it was called the Yeshiva of Crown Heights. He taught there for, I want to say, close to 30 years. I apologize in advance if I give a little bit of wrong details. I only had two days to do the research. I spent a lot of time on this, but I only had two days, so I may give some facts wrong, and, uh, you know, I hope you forgive me for that. But he spoke, he, he taught there for about 30 years. And I spoke to one of his students, you know, from Yeshiva, from Yeshiva on Crown Heights, and he was, he was telling me, he was like, you know, he's a good Rebbe. He was, he was very, very strong personality. And anybody who knows him knows that he had that strong personality. And he, and he had a lot of energy, a ton of energy. He would go, and he was, and not only that, like every recess, it wasn't just that he taught the class. By recess, he was also, he would also play with the kids. He would also play with the eighth graders. And this type of, this school, most of the kids were not religious. And this type of crowd, teaching this type of crowd, is not an easy job. It's not, it's, in fact, it's one of the hardest cases to do. To go to a place where, where the kids that go there come from homes that are not so religious. The kids are, themselves are not that religious, and you're trying to be their ready. You know, so they don't want it. The parents don't really care. You know, like, it, it's a, it's a hard situation from all angles. Not only did it, did, did he do this for almost 30 years, or over 30 years, but he never took a penny. He never took a paycheck. He never asked for money. He spent half a day go- going in his time and in the Chinook world and teaching these kids that many of them didn't even want to be there. And he never took a cent. And not only that, you know, something very interesting, that the way that one of his students was saying how Ornava, you know, started coming into formation is that his students, you know, grew and he kept in touch with them after high school and we'll soon see, you know, why and how. And his students, you know, they grew, they got married, and then he, they, they had, they got, they had their wives. The wives didn't have a class, so he started teaching their wives. And eventually what happened was, so he needed a place for you, had all these, these married women, he needed to teach a class. He, end, he ended up opening up Arnava. And it's, you know, for, for all of us that knew Rabbi Wallace, and he would always, one of the things, one of the many things that I really loved about him was the fact that he was able to say it as it is. He didn't care. There was no political correctness with him. If he believed in something, he told it to you. Like, in your face, without a problem. And you, you hear all the speeches that are going around. And, and by the way, there are going to be plenty of stories that are going to be coming out now. And, you, you, you know, one of the things was, if he believed in something, if he thought it was right, he would do it no matter what. And in fact, one time, I was um, talking about quite a few years ago, I was, you know, more or less new to the field of, of public speaking, and I was speaking for a few years, maybe maybe four or five years, still still uh, fresh, fresh off the boat. 
and um, I dealt with one of my first drug addict cases. And I, you know, who am I to start dealing with that by myself? So I knew that this is something that he dealt with. I called him up and I said, you know, I have this particular case. Um, this guy is a drug addict. And he, the drugs that he was dealing with was that if he didn't stop, the next step would be the grave. Like, like it, it was, he was on the heavy, 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 heavy drugs. And he was doing it very heavily. So he said, fine, you know, we ended up, he says, you know, Tuesday night, he gives a class in Aryitzak. He gave a class in Aryitzak. He says, after the class, you know, bring him. We're going to sit. We're going to talk. So we sit over there. The classes, you know, I, originally, the, the those classes in Aryitzak used to be called for 9.30, 10.30. It generally would start at 11 o'clock. And it was something very interesting. It always, it, when I ever was involved in that, it always started late. It always started, and now like, you know, you have like rabbis that show up 5, 10, 15 minutes late. Okay, you know, like, that's fine. The, you know, like Robert Wallstein, and for, for, you know, good reasons, by the way, don't, don't, I, I don't want to take that away, could sometimes come an hour late to a class. And an hour late, and there were still people there waiting to hear him speak. So he started this particular, uh, this particular night, he started, I think it was like 11 o'clock. He finished the class like at 12 o'clock. We started talking at midnight. It was me, I brought the guy, I brought the, you know, the addict, and a family member. It was me, the addict, the family member, and Robert Wallerstein. And we're sitting over there, and um, we're sitting over there. Again, we started talking at midnight, and we talked for quite some time. And, uh, you know, to be honest, when I started thinking about this, most of my conversations, most of my sitting down with Rabbi Wallerstein's happened after midnight. Like, nothing happened, like, during the day. Like, he was so busy. Like, so many things were going on that, yeah, and, and, you know, I want to tell you something, that you sit with him, you're sitting with him at 1 a.m. in the morning. You're sitting him in a shul. He's not rushing to leave. He's waiting till you're finished. Once we were finished, then he was able to leave. And we sat there for quite some time. I remember it was an hour, two hours, three hours. It was a very long time. And we're talking back and forth. And the way that it started is that the family member of this addict was sitting there and he started telling Rabbi Wallerstein, he's like, you don't understand, you know, his, you know, he had a situation with the parents and, the, you know, the mother is suffering, the brothers are suffering, the family is suffering because of all, you know, an addict is not in the right mindset. You know, they, they don't show up, they go and they, you know, they, they, their addiction takes over them. They go and they do whatever it is that they need to do to get their fix. And he said it was tearing the family apart. And he was going, he was explaining to, to Rabbi Wazi, and I'll never forget this. I remember Rabbi Wazi stopped him and he says, no, no, no. He says, he says, with all due respect, he says, I don't care right now about the parents, the, the brothers, the sisters. I, like that right now, we'll deal with that. But not, that's not what we're caring about right now. He says, right now, I have a sick person. I have somebody who's suffering right now. An addict is suffering. I have someone who's sitting right in front of me. I want to deal with him. And for the next, you know, I don't know, maybe half hour, 45 minutes, he spoke directly to that. He, forget about every, he forgot about, he zoned into exactly what he needed to do. And it was very interesting. It, it, it that whole, Mahalas, that whole, you know, I don't know how to say the, translate that, the tactic, you know, really took me by surprise. And I really learned from, you know, from that. I, I learned so many things, you know, from that. But one of the things were, was like, there are many times in life where we get bombarded from different angles and we forget to focus on the real source of the issue. We forget to deal with the origin of the problem. 
And even if it's so bombarded and they're sitting right in front and they're blah, 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 they're talking and talking and they're saying exactly what you do, but you have to sometimes say, no, 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 no. He says, you're not the focus over here. You're not the one. You think you're suffering? You're not. He's the one that's suffering. So he had that ability that even in front of a family member, he was able to say it exactly as it is. I want to give that. That's just an introduction for the, for the following story I want to share with you. The story I heard personally. The story goes back about 43 years ago. 43 years ago, he was teaching in Crown Heights, at, well, the Crown Heights Yeshiva in Mill Basin. Very confusing. But he was teaching in, in the Yeshiva of Crown Heights. And again, this Yeshiva is not a religious place. And this Yeshiva is in Mill Basin. It's right near King's Plaza, whoever you know lives or lived in, in New York, in uh, Brooklyn. And the, the, there was a certain group called the Masmid Club. The Masmid Club would learn extra. These are boys that were doing a little bit better. They would learn a little extra. One day, this boy... He goes and he, the, the, him and his friends, whatever it was, they go and they go to uh, King's Plaza, and uh, they go and they sat over there. There was a, they got hungry and there was a pizza store, so they went and they started eating. Again, this is a, a you know a, a group of a, a lot of you know not so religious boys, and this pizza store was not kosher, so they were eating non kosher pizza. And the boy goes and says, you know, I didn't know that Robert Wallstein was in you know King's Plaza that day, and he saw. He, he saw me, but I didn't know that. He says, you know, the next day at Yeshiva, you know, the Rabbi Wallstein goes over to uh, this boy and says, where were you on Sunday? So he says, I was in uh, King's Plaza. And he says, uh, did you go to eat anywhere? And, you know, he, he, he was an honest boy and he admitted, yeah. He says, I, I went to eat in a certain pizza store. So Rabbi Wallstein gets very serious. He says, what, you, he says, you're a masmid. You sit. He was part of that masmid group. He was a part of the group that learns extra. He was part of the group that was doing really well. And he says, he says, he calls him up in front of the whole class. And in front of the whole, whole class, he tells this boy, he says, take off your tzitzis. And the boy, he told me, he started crying. In front of the whole class. He's eighth grade. He start, he takes off his tzitzis. He says, get rid of the tzitzis. Chuck it. He says, and he, and he, and he had to, th- he threw the tzitzis. He threw the tzitzis. And he, the, the boy that now is a man, he goes and he's telling me the story and he says, he says, that was the last time I ever ate non-kosher in my life. So I stopped him right there before he continued the story. And I said, did you resent Rabbi Wallace? You just embarrassed me in front of the whole class. He just called you out in front of the whole class. Do you resent him for what he just did? And he said, no. Not even a little bit. He says that he knew. He says all the boys, we all knew that he had such a love for us that we had no resentment for him. And he said, he said, in, you know, afterwards, Rabbi Wallerstein would go to him and he said, you know, in hindsight, he, Rabbi Wallerstein said that he acted too harsh. He went too strong. But at the end of the day, he did it. And not only that, not only the boy, you know, now he's, a, he's an older man, never ate Non-kosher again in his life because of that. After that, he went to Comets, a, a from high school. And from there, he ended up going to another yeshiva, to Tara Ar, under Rabbi Scheinberg. And he eventually became a Stulliner chassid. He's a chassid now that lives in Givat Ze'ev. He works and he learns. And he's one that allowed me to tell you his name. His name is Rabbi Moshe Shapov. He is one, and not only that, he was a roommate with my brother-in-law, Rabbi Fran Crow, in, in Tara Ar. This is somebody that came from a broke, from, from, from spiritual emptiness. Rabbi Zachariah Wallace, he went, 
and took him and guided him through. Now, and by the way, he didn't stop, you know, after, you know, like, like he finished elementary. He didn't just get rid of, you know, like he kept on with it. And in fact, he became a Stalinar chassid. It became a, a, like a full flight. You look at him, you would think that he would be born, like I was raised as, in a Hasidish home. And he used to tell, he used to tell this Moshe, which is now his Rabbi Moshe Shapov. He used to tell him, he says, Moshe, he says, you're my ticket to Olam Haba. And this Rabbi Moshe will go back to, to Rabbi Zechariah and he says, Rabbi, he says, no, 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 no. He says, you're my ticket to Olam Haba. You would think amazing, you know. He teaches for 30 years free. You know, for, for not taking a paycheck. But it wasn't only that. You know, many teachers, they go and they teach, and they go home, they forget about it. Or they stress about it. But generally, a year or two later, they forget about it. Not Rabbi Wallace. He went to, he, he taught in a place where a lot of the people were not religious. He would go and he would try to convince the parents. He was he would teach eighth grade, and in fact, this particular Moshe, uh, you know, Shapovalov, uh, he went and he taught him sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, all three, you know, three grades. He would go and he would try to convince parents to send their kids to a from high school, and many parents said, "We can't. Tuition is very expensive. How are we going to can pay for a high, you know high school is very very expensive. We can't pay Jewish tuition." Do you know what Rabbi Wallace said? He says, you said to him, I'm covering the four years of high school. And out of his own pocket, he paid for these kids to go to high school. Not only didn't he take any money, but he actually paid for the kids to go to high school. You know, it reminds me that many, many, many years ago, I was sitting in, uh, you know, this, uh, this, you know, Shabbaton type of event, and I was sitting next to somebody. I realized the guy was going through something. He was, he was drinking. He was, he was pounding it back. And, you know, I started schmoozing with him. This is, this is before I started speaking, before, you know, this is like way, 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 way back. Uh, and I probably just got married. Uh, and I was speaking to him. And, you know, he had some money issues. And I, I think that was really the cause of his, of his drinking. And, he, you know, he, we were schmoozing, we were talking, and he was telling me he, um, you know, he has a few kids in high school. It was a modern, it was a modern place. It was a modern Orthodox uh, type of event. And, um, he, he says, you know, like every kid, you know, is like tens of thousands of dollars in high school. And he explained to me, he says, you want to know how I feel at the end of every high school year that I pay all my tuitions? He says, imagine I have a Mercedes Benz and I buy it cash, brand new, all decked out. And I take that Mercedes Benz and I fly it right off a cliff. He says, that's how I feel. Every time I pay my tuition. And I was thinking, when I heard this story, this, this story years ago rem- reminded me how you have here a rabbi who not only doesn't take any money, but pays for other kids to go to high school. And here you have on the flip side, you have a modern Orthodox guy that feels that he's paying for tuition for a Jewish education. And he feels like he just, you know, flungs a Mercedes off the, you know, off, off a cliff. And by the way, Rabbi Wallstein didn't only pay for high school. He paid for their camp. They go to a Jewish, Jewish from camp. And not only that, he also paid for them to go to Israel. Paid for, you know, paid for everything. And in fact, there was one person that was going through a difficult time spiritually. And was involved with many, many uh, things. And he used to go to Rabbi Wallace's Shirin. This is not one of his kids that went to the actual high school. This is, you know, out of other, other Shirin that he came to. And he became very close to him. And he was struggling, you know, back and forth in, in spirituality. One night, he had this, this, 
you know, aspect of like chuva, like this hero chuva, this, this fact that he, you know, like he was, he was, he knew that he was doing things wrong and it just hit him, hit him like a ton of bricks. And he woke up at 3 a.m. and he couldn't fall back to sleep. And he spent the next, from 3 a.m., the next five hours, he spent, he went, he got up and he started saying to Helen, he was like, he was like, he felt, it was like something that just hit him. So he went over to Robert Wallace and says, what am I supposed to do? He was in, a, you know, a very low situation, and then now he got hit by this like crazy night, a night that he just like got like this, this like, you know, inner power to like just like do tshuva. So Rabbi goes over to him and he says, "If I tell you to go to Israel, would you go?" And he says, "You know, go to Israel." He says, "I don't know." He says, first of all, I don't have a passport." Secondly, I have no way of paying for going to Israel. Like, I, and I can't, he couldn't even begin. He was a young guy. So, this happened Friday night. That Monday, he gets a passport. All, by the way, run by Zachari, Rabbi Zachariah Wallace. That Monday, he gets a passport. He, got, he had it overnighted. That Wednesday, he was already in Israel in Arsameach. Rabbi Wallace paid for everything. Paid for his flight, paid for his password. Not only that, he paid for his tuition. Tuition in Israel. It was about close to 10 grand a year. He was there for two and a half years. He paid for all his tuition. And not only that, he paid for all his flights. And he had to come back for his brother's wedding. He paid for that also. He paid for everything from out of his pocket. And not only that, when this you know young man, when he got married... You know, he didn't have, you know, much money. And Rabbi Wallace went and gave him $10,000. $10,000 that he could buy jewelry for his collar. He could buy something nice for his wedding. This is a guy that I spoke to personally. This is Rabbi Wallace went. Who, I don't know who alive today does this. I don't know. I'm sure there are people. I'm sure. Claudia Shaw is amazing. Claudia Shaw really is amazing. Uh, and I'm sure there are people out there. I just don't know of any. Uh, like, you know, like how much he cared for somebody else, not only by time, but by his money. He gave all his, gave his money off to, to, you know, to help other people. People that some, some of them he had a close connection to, some of them he didn't have that close of a connection to. You know, there was a, a you know, his seminary took a trip last year. Took a trip to Florida. And uh, there was a, miscommunication that one of the girls, you know, ended up in a place where she ended up getting lost. She wasn't in a, you know, she, she wasn't in a place where she was supposed to be. And she was telling me the story. She was, you know, a girl lost in a foreign place. She was petrified. And to make matters worse, her phone was dead. She couldn't even call anybody. She was lost for about seven hours. She was telling me, she was like, Hatsala was looking for her. Her picture went out everywhere. Her phone is dead. All of a sudden, her phone is dead. She can't explain it. Her phone starts ringing. She answers it. It's one of the Rebbitsons, and they're like, where are you? And she quickly tells her, tells the Rebbitson the location, and the phone dies again. They were able to find her. They were able to pick her up, and they were able to bring her back to where everybody else was. Later, she found out that when Rabbi Wallerstein, Rabbi Zachariah Wallerstein heard that one of the girls in the seminary, seminary, seminary were lost he went and he put a thousand dollars in staka that she should be found and she said she found out the time this is the exact time that he put in that thousand dollars 
in Sadaka, that's when her phone rang. She says, I don't know how the phone rang. It was dead. I have no idea. He put a thousand dollars. This is the amount that he cured. I'll tell you another story. It was a teenager who's hanging around and Rabbi Zakhar Wazi was in the vicinity. One of his friends blurted out that this teenager didn't put on tefillin for a long time, whatever it was. Didn't put on. It wasn't interested in tefillin. Rabbi Zakhar Wazi hears it and he goes up to this boy and he says, I'll make you a deal. I'll give you a thousand dollars cash if you put on your tefillin for 30 days straight. He said, deal. He went and he put on his tefillin for 30 days straight. Rabbi Zechariah Wasson gave him $1,000 and he told me. He said, since then, it was about 16 years ago. He said, since then, he didn't miss a day of tefillin. Who do we know now that you see a random guy that didn't put on tefillin? You're willing to take $1,000 out of your pocket and say, I want to get you to, to put on tefillin. And not only that, he gave out so much money so much money that that accountant, his accountant in his business, told him, he says, you have to stop. He says, we're not going to make be able to make payroll. He was giving out too much money, paying for people's high school, paying for the yeshiva, paying for the flights, paying for the camp, paying for, he paying for people's wedding. He took in orphans. He took in everything. I want to share with you something that I heard from Rabbi Shaul Rosen. Rabbi Shaul Rosen is the, or, is, he runs the organization called A-Time. A-Time is an organization that helps people with infertility. An amazing organization. Happens to be, Rabbi Shaul Rosen is my uncle, so I'm very proud to say that. But besides that fact, he, he's, uh, you know, he runs an amazing organization called A-Time. And A-Time helps people that are dealing with infertility. And Rabbi Wallace spoke for them quite a few times. And he told me, he says there were two major events. He says the first, the first of the major, major events, he goes over to Rabbi Wallace's office to go to invite him to speak at this event. And Rabbi Wallstein usually doesn't take money for his speeches. And he, Rabbi Wallstein says, no, I'll come, I'll speak. He says, but I, you know, I, I have to take money. I have to take money. He says, not for me. You know, Rabbi Wallstein at this point had organizations. He had Ornava and all the subsidiaries that came after that. And he, he needed to, he needed to, you know, fund the, the organizations. And he says, I need to take, I, I'm sorry, but I need to take money. So Rabbi Rose says, fine, you know, not a problem. And Rabbi Wallstein goes over and he says, after, you know, the, the event, I'll tell you who to make the checkout to. Rabbi Rosen goes and says, fine, not a problem. The event comes, he speaks, the event ends, and Rabbi Rosen, the head of, uh, you know, the one that's in charge of Eitan, he goes over to Rabbi Wallerstein, and he says, you know, who should I make the checkout to? And he says, uh, make it out to Eitan. He says, I'm not taking any money. Eitan is the organization that he just spoke to. He says, I'm not taking any money. He says, okay, you know, like, thank you very much for coming. The next time, there's a Shabbaton. He goes over to invite Rabbi Wasson again in his office. And Rabbi Wasson says, you know, he says, yeah, I'll come, but I'm sorry, but I have to, I need to charge. I'm, oh, I didn't mention. The amount that he charged is also, you know, important. He charged $5,000. And he wouldn't take it. The first time he wouldn't take it. And he goes over the next time. And he says, uh, he goes over at Rabbi, Wall- Rabbi Rosen goes with Rabbi Wallace and he says, you know, can you come in this week? He says, not a problem, but I need to charge. Again, you know, $5,000. And Rabbi Rosen goes over and says, you know, okay, not a problem, you know, Rabbi Wallace. He says, but I don't know if you remember, last time you told me you're going to charge also and I wanted to give you the money and you didn't want to take it. And Rabbi Wallace goes, says, no, 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 but this time I, I need to take it. He says, this time I'm desperate, I need to take it. And Rabbi Rosen says, fine, not a problem. It was a Shabbaton event, and he goes, and there was a lot of couples that were dealing with infertility, and Rabbi Wallerstein spent, you know, hours going and speaking to different couples, you know, privately and personally, 
and you know comes after the Shabbaton, it was Sunday morning, and Rabbi Rosen goes over to Rabbi Wallstein with a check of five thousand dollars, and he says, "Who should I make it out to?" So Rabbi Wallstein goes and says, he says, "There's a certain couple that I was speaking to over Shabbos over here. I want you to make it out to that couple." Because I'm not taking any money. So I want you to make it out to that couple. This is at the time where he needed the money. He expressed, he said, I need the money. I need it. He said, I need it. But when it came for someone else, he realized, he said, no, no, no. You got to give the money to somebody else. This is somebody who wanted it. He himself said, I desperately need it. He runs an organization that has, it's organizations that cost millions of dollars a year to run. And he said, I need the money, I need a call. But when he found somebody else that needed the money, he says, you got to give it to them. And he made, had to make out a check to another couple, and he gave it to the other couple. So they, they had some sort of treatment, infertility treatment that was too expensive for them, and he gave the check to them. He was always about the other person. He wasn't about himself. And even when he did do so much for other people, not even, when and always when he did for other people, he did it with happiness and enjoyment. And you know what's interesting? You didn't feel like he was doing you a favor. There was a daily dose that came out today. I'm going to share some clips with you that I'm sure most of you heard it before. And I apologize if you're going to hear it again from me. But I feel it's very important. There was a daily dose that came out today. Amazing daily dose. And if you don't know what the daily dose is, then you know you have to go onto the, you know any app store that you have and you have to download the Daily Dose Torah Anytime app. You have to download the Torah Anytime app and the, Torah, the Daily Dose app. But anyways, we'll get to that later. The Daily Dose today was of Rabbi Wallerson going and speaking and saying, you know, somebody came over to him and said, I'm jealous of your Olam Habo. And Rabbi Wallerson said something also that only somebody that is so emistic, so true, can say. Other people will be like, wow, thank you so much. You know, like, and take that. Ross said, why? You don't know me. You don't know what I do behind closed doors. You don't know what I did as a kid. So why are you jealous of my own Abba? And he said, you want to be jealous of something, said Robert Wallerstein? Be jealous of my Olam Hazer. And he says, like, well, you know, like, what do you mean? What's your Olam Hazer? Like, you, you know, you're, you're into, like, stuff. You know, like, physical, materialistic stuff. And he says, you want to know what my, my enjoyment in this world? This is Robert Wallace is saying. My olam hazen, my, this, my enjoyment in this world is helping somebody else. He says, it's not making money. And he was a businessman. He says, it's not making money. It's not going on vacations. It's not, it, you know what my enjoyment in this world is? It's helping someone else. It's making somebody else smile. And I believe it was a son-in-law. I may be mistaken. Some, one, of the, one of the speakers in, in the Leviah said... That when he would come to the office, you know, he was sitting and he would sit and he would run to speak from school to seminary to, you know, different organizations. He would go all day and he would run and speak in all different areas and all different, you know, events. But when he finally entered the office, what would he do? He'd go into his, into his office, into his room, and he would pick up his phone and he would start listening to his messages and write down who he has to call back. And who's going to take care of the business? Who's going to fund all this? The secretary will take care of it. You know what his olam hazeh was? He says, you want to be jealous of me? Be jealous of my olam hazeh. Because you don't want to know what his enjoyment was. His enjoyment was helping someone. And if you met him, if you ever dealt with him, you can attest to that. You know, I heard this, you know, from him a while back. And again, I don't remember all the details. I'm going to say by memory. I couldn't find the source for it. But he needed to build, if I'm not mistaken, a dorm. 
He needed to build a dorm. So he went to Rav Steinman, a gadol, and you know in Bnei Brak. He went up to Rav Steinman and he says, "I need a bracha." And he says, "I want to build a dorm." And Rav Steinman, you know, didn't really give him the bracha. And he tried to raise the money that he needed to, and, and he couldn't do it. A year or two go by, and he goes back to Rav Steinman, and he says. I need to build this dorm for the girls. There were girls that were going through a difficult time and they needed a place to sleep because I worked so much on them. But then they went to their dysfunctional home, to their home that was broken and everything that we just put into them in the seminary or in the high school, it just broke apart. He says, we need a place for them to live so that they, they, they're able to heal. And he goes up to Rav and says, I need, I need this place. Give me please a bracha. And Rav Shabbat says, he goes and he gives him a bracha. And again, I'm saying this from memory, so I may be wrong in a few details. But Rabbi Wazin goes up to him and says, you know, Rav, last year I came to you and I asked for a bracha. You know, you didn't really give me a bracha. This year you give me a bracha. What's the difference? And this is what a gadol sees hundreds of people a day, you know. He goes and says, and he remembers it. And he says, he remembers what I says last year. Not only he remembers it, he remembers the details of it. He says, last year you told me you wanted to do something. When you want to do something, okay, you know, uh, how much of Siyat Hashem are you going to get? You want to do something. This year, you're telling me you need to do something. Need and want is very different. And he gave the bracha, and very shortly afterwards, he was able to raise the money and was able to, to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish. And I believe this is, this is a big differentiation. This is something that you can really focus on. If you want to succeed in helping others. If you want to help others, maybe yeah, maybe yeah, you may help it. You may help somebody else, you may not. But if you need to help somebody else, then it's going to get done. We have to change our wants to our needs. Rabbi Wallerstein was somebody that not, he didn't want to help. He needed to help. This was his olam hazard. You know, obviously the purpose of this year is not only to tell you about, you know, what his accomplishment and who he was, but also that we could take things out personally. You want to accomplish greatness in spirituality, also materialistically, also physically. You got to change your want to a need. Change your want to a need. Become something that if you need something, you're able to accomplish it. If you want it, maybe yeah, maybe not. And I think that was his essence. He needed to help people. It's not that he wanted to help people. He needed to. Who else would sit? I mean, I remember speaking to him. 12 o'clock at night, he would sit there and he would apologize to me. And he says, I need to eat something. And he would eat Cheerios. It was an Aryetzak. And it was like midnight. You know, most of, most of my meetings with him was an Aryetzak, you know, well into the night. And he says, I'm sorry, I didn't eat anything all day. He would run from place to place. He wouldn't have even a chance to eat. So while we were talking, he would sit and he would eat some Cheerios. If you want to do good, you're not able to last. But if you need to do good, then you're able to accomplish. You know, there was a, there was a clip that was going around. And there's a clip that, you know, I, I heard this from him a long, long time ago. And it resonated with me. And I, I took it very personal and I used it many, many times. And that was a clip with him in the, in the hot Sullivan. It was, for whoever is not familiar with it, it was 3.30 in the morning. It was exhausted. Probably one of those nights where he's like speaking to crazy people like me, you know, or other people are bothering him about different things. And um, he, it's 3.30 in the morning and he gets a phone call. He answers it. 
which is also something, you know, you answer your phone at 3.30 in the morning. And he answers it, and um, there was a person on the line said, it's from Hatzalah. And he's, he's going out, and he's like, Hatzalah, he's like, what's going on? You know, he has kids, but he has grandkids. He says, well, turns out, it was one of his girls, were, went, and not his family, one of his students, went, and uh, she, she OD'd, she overdosed. And she needs to go to the hospital. So he says, take her to the hospital, what do you want from me? And she says, she's not coming unless, uh, unless you come. And she goes over there and he says, tell her, you can't reach me. I'm exhausted. I spent the whole day doing so much for her. I just like, tell her I can't go. And he says, we tried that. That's all the guy says. But, uh, you know, <laughs> she's not listening to it. And he's like, all right. You know, like, if she's not going to go. Basically, that's all the guy was saying. Like, if, if you don't come, she's not coming. She's not going to the hospital. She says, okay, fine. He says, all right, so come get me. He says, uh, where are you right now? So that's all a guy goes, and he says, uh, we're in your driveway. And he's like, what? He's like, he thought that he would be able to at least sleep a little bit until they come in. The Hatzalah people were already in their driveway. So he goes, he gets dressed, he gets dressed, and he's walking down. And he says, this, this, you, see, you see this clip going around. He says over himself, he was going to the guy. He says, guy, why? He's like, really? He's like, really? He's like, it's such a long day. Can I get a little bit of sleep? And he goes on to explain. He says, you know this area, this this moment in the night where you're exhausted and you're about to fall asleep. And all of a sudden your brain is like, hey, well, let's worry about like 7,000 things right now. And all of a sudden you like wake up and you're like, you can't fall asleep. You know, like that's the most difficult when you're about to fall asleep. He was about to fall asleep. And that's when his phone rang. And he was like, really? It's like 3.30 in the morning. Can I get a few hours of shut-eye? Can I get a little bit of something of rest? And this is what he was thinking as he was walking down, going into the Hatzalah then truck. And he gets into the Hatzalah truck, into the ambulance, and this girl is vomiting. The girl is overdose. She needs to be rushed. She rushes. She gets rushed to the hospital. And Rabbi Zechariah Wasson goes and says, you know, he said, I was thinking, he says, on Rosh Hashanah, it was decreed that Rabbi Wasson will be on a Hatzalah van, Hatzalah truck. And he says, but it wasn't, you know, decreed if I'll be on the gurney, if I'll be on the bench. If I'll be sitting, or if I'll be escorting somebody, or if I'll be the one who's going in there. It all depends on my, on my deeds. He says, but Baruch Hashem, he says, I was the one that was sitting on the bench, and not the one sitting on the bed. And that's what he would, that, that's what he said. And now, and you know, when I started thinking, I'm like, you know, like, okay, fine, that makes sense. If you start thinking about that, after, imagine he would think about that. He went to the, he went to the, you know, to the emergency room, dropped her off, went back home, had a nice few hours of rest, finally woke up, and he started thinking about it. He says, you know what? He says, I, it was decreed for me to be over here, and that's why I'm here. So Baruch Hashem, I happen to be in this situation and not on the bed. But it wasn't like that. He said in the story also himself that he was telling this to the Hatzalah guy. Meaning that, he had this emotion of, like, I can't say upset, but this frustration that he couldn't, he wanted to go to sleep. He got into Atzala then, he read away, he told the Atzala guy, he says, Baruch Hashem that I'm sitting over here and not over there. Meaning that he was able to come to a conclusion where he was able to be frustrated at one point and very shortly afterwards to be thankful and happy that he was in that situation. You know, it's easy to afterwards, in hindsight, to be like, oh, you know what, it worked out well. And you know what, I shouldn't say it's easy. It's doable. But to do it in the moment where you're so frustrated and you're just done. And also you'd be like, you know what? No, let's twist it for the positive. It's unbelievable. And I can't tell you, I, I use this so many times where I was in a situation where, you know, it was difficult for me. 
And this thought, for years, this, I heard this, I don't remember how many years ago, for years, this carried me through, this thought. That Bar Hashem, I'm in this angle and not in that angle. You know, I want to share with you something that I was thinking if I should share or, you know, how and, you know, if I shouldn't share because what I'm about to share with you is something I heard personally and it's hard to believe that I came back. So, there was a guy, you know what, I have to give you a little bit of introduction, back up. I'll tell you a story that I said before um, and, and it's late so I really want to go through fast to the story and this is a story that um, I heard, you know, I heard from Robert Wallenstein. Um, I'm sure it's online somewhere. I heard from him, uh, you know, personally and uh, he, one time he was, um, one of his students, one of his girl students, uh, came over, had a hard time getting married. And she was older, and she came over to Rabbi Wallerstein, and at that particular time, Rabbi Wallerstein was with a certain Makobol. I know the Makobol, and I met with a Makobol. Makobol is, is real as can be. Um, uh, delves into some, like, really capitalistic stuff. And uh, she, she, she met with Rabbi Wallerstein and this Makobol at the same time. And she knew that this Makobo knew how to read read palms. So she she's sitting in front of Rabbi Wasi and this Makobo, and she sticks out her palm. And she tells Rabbi in front of Rabbi Wasi and this Makobo, when am I going to get, am I going to get married? When am I going to get married? When am I going to have children? And Rabbi Wasi was looking at the palm, and this Makobo was looking at the palm. And Rabbi Wasi, you know, delved into Kabbalistic things, and if anybody knows him, knows that he was, you know, he was very into Kabbalah. And this Mikubo taught him different lines in a palm of what, you know, what to look at. And Rabbi Wasu was looking at it, and this Mikubo was looking at it, and the line that she had on her palm for children were not there. It just did not exist. Um, so they're looking at each other, and she's like, I want to know, am I going to get married? Am I going to have children? And she's throwing her palm in their face. And they're looking at it, and they see the line is not there, and they're looking at each other, what if she's saying? So Rabbi goes and says, don't worry about it. It's, it's there. It's, you know, you're gonna, it's going to happen soon. Like, what, what is he supposed to say? So he goes and he goes and he, um, and, and, uh, um, and he tells her, it's going to happen. Don't worry about it. A few months go by and this girl was in a very difficult situation. And, uh, um, and, and, yeah, I know some people are asking for the McCubble's name. I don't know if I could say it online. Uh, after we stop the recording, Lena to remind me, you know, and I'll tell you. I, I think I could tell. I don't know. I don't know if I could tell it or not. But, but, um, anyways, he goes and, um, and, and she tells, she, she, he says that it's going to, it's going to work out. It's going to be okay. So, a few months go by and she comes with this very big test, very big Nisayan. And she calls Rabbi Wallace and Rabbi Wallace guides her through the test. And Baruch Hashem, she was able to overcome this huge, huge test. A few months after this test, she got engaged. And not only did she get engaged, she got married. And by the time the Rabbi Wallace, when I heard this story personally from Rabbi Wallace, she was eight months pregnant. And Rabbi Wallace was saying, like, she didn't have the lines for pregnant. She didn't have the lines for children. She was eight months pregnant. And he went and he went on to explain. And he said the reason... The reason why, because she went and she had such a big Nisayan, she had such a big test in her life, that she was able to overcome it. And because she overcame that test, she overcame her destiny of not having children, of not getting married. And she got married and she had children. 
Now, I wanted to give you that introduction to realize that, you know, Rabbi Wasim dealt in, you know, you know Kabbalah. He was very big at the Mikubalim. So this guy came over. I spoke to this, 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 this guy, this boy. Now he's a man. Um, and he said that when he was younger, he had a very hard time with spirituality. And he had taiva, he had temptations. And, you know, as a teenager, you know, you have temptations. And he would hang out, hang out with the people of the opposite gender. And not only did he hang out, hung out with people of the opposite gender, but he also hung out with people of the opposite gender that weren't of the same religion, let's just call it. And obviously when you're hanging out in that, you know, format, you're not, you know, really playing chess, let's just say, as, you know, a teenager. And he got into a few crazy, crazy situations. I'm not going to go through all of them, but I want to share with you one. He got through a crazy situation. It was a situation that, you know, the girl had his number. He didn't have her number. She would call him up and went to hang out, and they would go to hang out. or would hang out in the park in the middle of the night. Like crazy, weird stuff. One night, they're in the park. It's way, way past midnight. They're alone. And uh, all of a sudden, um, you know, she goes up and she looks around. And she steers into a distance, this non-Jewish girl. And she goes and she says, do you see that? And she points in the distance. And the guy, you know, the boy, guy turns around and he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And he's like, there's someone there. You don't see the guy? And the guy turns around and says, I don't see anybody. He says, the guy's laughing at me. The guy, you know, he looked a little bit strange. And he was, she was explaining to him that she saw this image of this person that was sitting and were laughing. And the guy was looking and he says, there's no one there. They're going back and forth. There's no one there. There's a guy there. The, the, the next, shortly afterwards, and by the way, while the while they're you know hanging out and they're you know speaking about this mystical non slash you know real person that's hanging out in the park in the middle of the night, um, she goes and she tells him. She says, "By the way, she says, you know, I have to just tell you, my father was. I don't know how to say this. He delved in the dark arts." I guess uh, you could call it. He was very into the other side, the Tumma side. Let's put it that way. She wasn't Jewish. And he dealt very, very much. He was like the top of the top, you know, dealing with like this type of, uh, you know, uh, let's just call it the Tumma as what it is. And after that, he, he, you know, he was explaining to me. He was like, I, I don't know. There was something off. He says, I, I couldn't control my thoughts. I had mental attacks. There's like weird stuff that was happening. And he was close with Rabbi Wallerstein. And he came to Rabbi Wallerstein. Rabbi Wallerstein looked at him. And he says, um, before he even had a chance to say something, he says, there's something off over here. He says, he goes over, Rabbi Wallerstein goes over to this boy. He says, it's like there's a snake around your body. He goes and he starts questioning him. He says, where were you last week? So he starts explaining, this boy starts explaining what happened. And Rabbi Wallerstein starts saying, there's no good. We have to do something about it. Besides the fact of breaking off all the situation, he goes, or Ross, he goes and says, this, did this girl have a, a cross necklace? And the boy's like, he's like, he's like, yeah, how, how do you know? And Rob Austin goes, he's like, I see it wrapped around her neck hanging. I says, I, again, this is a story that, you know, you hear from a Kubalim, not from like, I can't say regular people, but like someone who's working a Rebbe teaching. This is not this type of story that you hear. But the story goes on that he went and he spoke to, you know, Mukobo, he spoke to Rabbi Gamliel, one of Rabbi Wallacean's, you know, Rabbi, and they gave different types of things to do, and they did different, different things, and he was telling me after that he was, he was okay. He was okay. And, like, I'm, like, thinking about, I'm, like, these stories, you don't hear, 
You don't, you hear from like Mikubalim in Eretz Yisrael that spent the entire life learning Kabbalah and doing it. You don't hear this from like regular people. And the answer is Rabbi Wallace wasn't a regular person. We don't realize what we lost. And by the way, as a side note, he like, he went and he paid for his, this boy, not only got him, you know, out of the situation, he went and he paid him up to go to yeshiva, and Baruch Hashem now, this boy is a, you know, is a healthy young man, uh, who learns and who works and has a family, is completely, completely normal. Took him from that situation all the way to that. And by the way, I do have to like mention as a side note, I spoke to quite a few people. I'm pretty sure most, if not all of the people that I spoke to, he paid for their tuition. Like, I don't know if I spoke to somebody that he didn't pay for him to go learn in yeshiva. Whether it's tuition, whether it's Israel, whether it's high school. He, like, paid for everybody. Like, he just, like, gave out his money for other people. Not, he didn't, not only sent his kids to yeshiva schools, he sent so many other kids to yeshiva schools. But the truth of the matter is, is that anybody that knows Robert Wallace, and it's like, all these kids, they were like, all these, these kids that weren't really his kids, were like his kids. He treated everybody like this is their own child. You know, the time is getting short. There's a lot more that I want to speak about. But I want to share with you a story that a story that I heard from Rabbi Wallerstein. A few, and I, and if I'm not mistaken, I even said it before. But I believe this brings out, you know, his essence of you know who he was. This is a famous story, a story that he liked to say himself. And by the way, the story that I'm about to tell you is a true story as well. So, there was this nursing home, somewhere in the Midwest, if I'm not mistaken, that um, had a particular guy that uh, was a very wealthy, and he went and he decided that he wants his own room. This person's uh, name was Mr. Lefkowitz. He had his own room own room in this in this nursing home everybody else had two bedrooms but he had a, two 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 people in a room but he had he had one only him and one day the administrator goes over to him and he says listen he says we have a guy coming by the name of mr friedman and mr friedman he needs a uh, he needs a room and the problem is is that we're out of room so we want to know if we could bunk him with you you know you have extra bed in your room we want to know if we could put him in your room uh for a short period of time and then we'll take him out so Mr. Lefkowitz was a very happy-go-lucky type of guy. And he says, not a problem, short period of time, bring him in by all means. They bring in Mr. Friedman and they wheel him into the, you know, into the room and he's on his bed. And, you know, now Mr. Lefkowitz is what says, you know, I got to go meet my new, uh, my new neighbor. And he goes over and says, Mr. Friedman, he says like, welcome, you know, like, mi casa, su casa, this place is my place, you know, enjoy, like, come here, you know, be welcome. And while Mr. Lefkowitz was a very happy-go-lucky type of person, Mr. Friedman was a very depressed, very going through a lot of difficulties in life. He was not up for that. And he goes and he says, he says, why are you talking to me? He says, I'm not, please don't talk to me. He says, I'm not interested in you. I'm not interested in what you have to say. Please leave me alone. Mr. Lefkowitz is like, he's like, wait a minute. He's like, you know, he's like the type of guy that has positive energy all the time. He says, I can't deal with this negativity. He's like, you know, he goes over to the administrator and he says, like, you know, I'm sorry. He says, I would love to have him. This guy is like full of, I tried to welcome him. He started screaming at me. He says, well, you know, I can't. So the administrator says, you know, please just, just let him stay for a few nights and we'll, we'll take him out as soon as we can. So he said, fine. He goes back into his room and he goes over to Mr. Lefkowitz, goes over to Mr. Friedman and he says, he says, listen, he says, don't worry, you're going to be moved out soon. He says, but right now you're here. 
He says, let's, you know, let's make the best of it. Let's, you know, let's be friends. Let's, you know, let's get to know each other. And Mr. Freeman says, I'm not interested in any of being your friend. I'm not interested in you. Please leave me alone. I am not interested. I am a miserable person. Let me be. He says, so Mr. You know, Lefkowitz says, you're miserable? He says, he, Mr. Lefkowitz unfortunately had diabetes and he had to amputate both his legs. He says, I don't have any legs. He says, what are you miserable for? And he says, you wonder what I'm miserable for? He says, he went blind 10 years ago. He says, I can't see, I hadn't seen my children in 10 years. I hadn't seen my grandchildren in 10 years. And Mr. Lefkowitz was like, why? He's like, I'm so, I'm so sorry. He says, I had no idea. He says, I didn't know. Nobody told me that you were blind. They brought you into my room. No one even mentioned it to me. So he goes and, and he says, um, and, and he starts apologizing profusely. He's like, I'm so sorry. I didn't know that you're blind. They didn't tell me. And after, you know, he's, he apologizes. He goes down and he starts saying, he says, you know, I gotta do something for him. I was like, you know, I felt like, you know, I felt like he hurt him. He insulted him. It's like, I gotta do something for him. So he goes over to him, you know, a short while later, an hour or two later, and he says, listen, he says, I wanna make it up to you. He says, um, I wanna be your eyes. And Mr. Friedman is like, he starts, he's like, what? He's like, what are you talking about? He's like, you can't be my eye. He's like, and, and Mr. Leftwood stops me. He says, no, 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 you don't understand. He says, I'm an artist. He says, I want to go and I'm going to describe to you everything that I see and I will be your eyes. So Mr. Freeman says, do me a favor. Don't be my eyes. Don't be my ears. Don't be my nose. Don't be my mouth. Just let me be. And Mr. Leftwood didn't, didn't give up so easily. So he goes over to him and he says, listen, he goes and he says, Give me one chance. He says, let me be your eyes tomorrow morning. If you don't like it, you won't hear from me again. And Mr. Friedman, he's like, you promise? He says, you won't hear from me again. He says, you got yourself a deal. The next morning, it's like 5 a.m. All of a sudden, Mr. Friedman wakes up to him hearing, Friedman! Friedman! And he wakes up, he's like, what? What is going on? <coughs> so Mr. Lefkowitz is like, he's like, it's sunrise. I'm your eyes, remember? Rise and shine, baby. And he starts explaining to him. And he says, I'm going to the window. And he starts explaining to him the sunrise. And he started to explain to him in detail the birds and the bus that was driving by and the people that were walking by. And he's sitting there for a half an hour explaining to him what he sees. And after the half an hour, Mr. Lefkowitz goes over to him very proudly and says, so, no, what do you think? Yeah, I'm about your eyes. And Mr. Friedman looks at him, can't see it, but he looks at him and he says, you're crazy. Don't ever talk to me again. And he's like, oh, okay. Three hours go by. All of a sudden, Mr. Friedman goes over to Mr. Lefkowitz and he says, you know, to be honest, you're not such a crazy person. He says, for that half hour, I actually saw everything that you described. Please, you know, try again tomorrow. And they tried again the next day and the next day. And the next day. And Mr. Lefkowitz was Mr. Friedman's eyes. And he would go and he would describe what he sees outside the window. And he says, here's the door. And he explained about the dogs. The crazy lady with the wagons. The guy with the super long coat. The guy with the no coat. He would go at night and explain to him the stars. And he would be his eyes. For hours a day, he would be his eyes. And they became best friends. You know, Mr. Lefkowitz couldn't walk. He was in a wheelchair. Mr. Friedman couldn't see. So they worked perfectly together. 
One was the eyes, the other was the legs. And they pushed each other around. You know, Mr. Mr. Friedman put was the eyes. Mr. Lefkowitz told them exactly where to go in the wheelchair. And they would run around the entire nursing home. And they were the best of friends. You couldn't convince one of them to be separated, to move out to a different room. A year goes by. And, you know, one day, Mr. Friedman goes over to Mr. Lefkowitz and he says, you know, I, I just got to tell you. He says, I want to thank you for all that you've done. And he starts tearing up. And he says, you know, I see now more than I've ever seen in my life. And Mr. Lefkowitz says, nah, nah. He's like, trying to push him off. And no, Mr. Lefkowitz, Mr. Friedman went and says, you don't understand. He says, I, I went through life never appreciating my eyes. Never appreciate that all the attention to the detail that you have. And I want to tell you, I thank you and I love you. A month later, Mr. Freeman wakes up and he realizes something's off. It's late. You know, Mr. Freeman didn't wake him up yet. Like something's off. And he starts, he starts calling out. He's like, let's go. He calls him, let's go. He's like, let's go. Where are you? He's like, let's go. Where are you? He's like, what's the story? What's going on? And no one's answering. And he's calling and he's calling and no one's answering. So he starts ringing the call bell. He calls to the nurse. The nurse comes rushing in. He's like, what, what, what can I do for you? And he says, he says, you know, I feel like something's wrong. He says, uh, he's like, uh, you know, Mr. Lefkowitz, you know, my, my, you know, my bugbear, my friend over here, he's not waking up. He says, like, you gotta wake him up. And the nurse goes over to him and he says, he says, oh, uh, you know, like, we're sorry, but, you know, in the middle of the night, Mr. Lefkowitz wasn't feeling well. And, uh, we had to rush him to the hospital. So Mr. Friedman is like, is he okay? Is everything okay? And the nurse, you know, goes over to him and says, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry to tell you this. I know you were close friends, but, um, you know, unfortunately, Mr. Lefkowitz, he suffered a severe heart attack and he didn't make it. And he says, what? He's like, and he starts screaming and he starts crying. He says, what do you mean he didn't make it? And he starts screaming and he says, like, I had my eyes. I got to take it away. And then Mr. Lefkowitz gave me my eyes back and now they took that away too. And he started crying and... and the nurse was more newer. She, she didn't understand what was going on. Says, what are you talking about? It was your eyes. And and he goes to the nurse and he says, he says, tell me, do me a favor. He says, what time is it now? And the nurse says, about 8 o'clock. And he says, do me a favor. He, he's like, he's mourning. He's suffering. He's bawling out. He says, go to the window. Tell me, this is Mr. Lefkowitz. This is what he did every morning. Go to the window. Tell me what you see. And she's like, what? He's like, he's like, go to the window, just tell me what you see. It's eight o'clock. Eight o'clock, there should be, there should be an old lady walking with a long, big wagon. Do you see her? And she's like, she's like, um, Mr. Freeman, I, I don't know what you're asking from me. And he's like, just go to the window and tell me what you see. It's eight o'clock. There should be a time where there's a bus that's going right now and there's a guy that's walking his dog usually around eight o'clock. Do you see it? Please explain it to me. I'm suffering. Just please do me a favor. One day I'm asking you, please do for me what Mr. Lefkowitz did for me. Go to the window and explain to me what you see. Describe to me what you see. And the nurse goes over to Mr. Lefkowitz and she says, Mr. Le Mr. Friedman, he says, Mr. Friedman, I, I, I don't understand your question. I, I really don't know how to tell this to you, but you don't have a window in your room. And he's like, What? Like, of course there's a window in my room. For the past year, you know, Mr. Lefkowitz was describing everything that he said. Of course there's a window. Go look out the window. And she's like, no. He says, we're attached to another building. There's no, this is a windowless room. There's no window in this room. And he starts screaming. He's like, you liar. How do you lie to a blind person? He says, I'm going to prove it to you. He gets up and he starts feeling around all the walls. He felt one wall, no window. He went to the next wall, no window. Went to all the walls, there was no window. 
He starts breaking down crying. He says, please send me, bring me to the funeral. I need to speak at the funeral. They bring him to the funeral. And he speaks. He gets up there. And he speaks. And he says, you know, there are human beings in the world that are willing to stare outside a window and describe to a blind man what he sees. But there's only one angel, Mr. Freeman goes on. And that is Mr. Lefkowitz. And that angel didn't sit at a window. He sat at a wall and he turned it into a window for a blind man. Where everyone else gave up, when everybody else hit a brick wall, Mr. Lefkowitz opened up a window for me. And I have to tell you, I believe this was Rabbi Zechariah Wallstein. Rabbi Zechariah Wallstein was where everybody else gave up on this person. Where everybody else said, there's no hope. They hit a brick wall. Rabbi Wallstein went and made, turned that wall into a window. He gave hope for that person. And there are thousands of people today because of the window that Rabbi Wallstein created for their wall, they're existing today. They're living healthy lives. They're married. They're religious. Because of the windows that Rabbi Wallerstein created for the brick walls in the people's lives. And not only, not only that, but I want to share with you the way that Rabbi Wallerstein explains it. He says, you know, we all have brick walls in our lives. We're dealing with our own things. And then you have a friend that has a need, that needs something. And you can't, you're dealing with too much of your own stuff. Like, I can't deal with this right now. He says, you want to know what an angel is? An angel goes, and even though he has a brick wall, he turns that brick wall into a window for somebody else. And I think that's something that we can learn. One of the many things we can learn from Wallerstein. That he went where people gave up, where people had nothing. He went and he gave them everything. He gave them his time, gave them his energy, gave them his money. You know, yeah, he took kids off the streets. He helped where no one else could. But little people, do people realize his goal? His goal was to help to get them to learn Torah and to build a Jewish home. It wasn't just getting the people off. He carried them through the process until they were healthy and even paid for many of the parts in the weddings. We don't realize what we lost. We really don't realize what we lost. And of course, all this, you can't do this without, you know, a strong wife. Uh, Got to give credit to his wife, you know, Mrs. Wallerstein, Mrs. Esty Wallerstein. The amount, you know, like I saw him in the, in, way into the middle of the night. I don't know when she saw him, you know, like. But I, you know, when you listen to all his children, he always had time for us. He made time for everybody. Where he had this time, I don't know. But he made time for everybody, including his family, including his kids, including his wife. And you know. I speak to a lot of people, and a lot of people have a hard time. I want to end off. I know it's getting late. How do we cope with this? You know, many people are, are, are really going through difficulties during this time. And, you know, when someone passes away, one of the best ways to cope is to do something for the neshama. 
to do something for him. Yes, he went out to the next world. Yes, he's no longer with us. But that doesn't mean that you can't... He did so much for us. We should do for him. Do something. You know, Torah Anytime is dedicating the entire year for his neshama, for, for his chos. An entire year. Everything Torah Anytime. They're dedicating for the entire year. Torah Anytime now put out, not now, already a while back already, a brand new app. A daily dose app and a new app. By the way, it's not updatable. You have to download the new app. You go to the you know the app stores and you download the brand new the you know the newer app. I think every, everybody should go and download the apps. Download the daily dose apps. Be contacted. Everything now for the next year is Le'ilei his neshama. It's for his soul. Not only that, his students, what they're doing, his close students, what they started doing is he was very into the Kaba Yashar. One of the, one of the few Sparim, one of the many Sparim, I should say few, that he was very, very, you know, like he had a very close connection to was the Kaba Yashar. He was very close to the Chida. He loved the Chida. He loved also the Kaba Yashar. In fact, he introduced me to the Kaba Yashar. I remember, you know, when I first bought the Kaba Yashar, I, I read it cover to cover. It was, it's such a good safer. Oh my gosh. And in, it exists now in, in English. You're able to do that. And they, his students went and they opened up a, uh, they wanted to go and everybody should go and learn Kaviyasha because that's something that he pushed, you know, very much so. And they started, they wanted to finish the Kaviyasha. The problem was, is that within a few minutes, the entire thing was taken up, like everybody took it up. So what they're trying to do now is they're trying to finish the Kaviyasha Kav times. Kaviyasha, Kav is Kuv Beis, the numerical value is 102. There is 102 chapters in Kaviyasha. They're trying to finish it 102 times. So Amir Tashem, I'm going to put in a link in the Torah Anytime description on the bottom over there, uh, once this gets uploaded, on for the Kava, for the link if you wanted to go and you want to sign up. That's another thing that you can do. The Kavayashar, download Torah Anytime, listen to Torah Anytime. The, the third thing that I want to mention about what we could do for his Neshama is that we all know that he started an organization called Ornava. Ornava, it branched out from Ornava to Ateras Nava, to Pinos Bina, to Pinos Chayas Academy, to the ranch, um, and to, to Shabbos, and to, you know, to so many different programs that branched out. There, the, the amount that Rabbi Wasson raised every year was roughly about $6.3 million that he needed to fund this. And unfortunately, now he's no longer here to fund it. So they're asking everybody to go and to, um, to fundraise, to, you know, to donate whatever they can for, uh, for Arnava. So they're fundraising $6.3 million for the year for, um, you know, for Arnava. And I'm going to put in a link if you want. You could just go to Arnava.com to find, uh, and it will bring you to the link to donate. And if not, I gave you, I put, I posted the link also, uh, in the, in the chat box. You know, one of the things that Rabbi Walshin also you know, put out a lot is that if someone went through some sort of difficulty, now you have the power to go and help. And if you overcame it, you have the power to help somebody else. And in fact, I utilize this a lot when dealing with people that overcame drug addictions. It says, okay, now that you overcame this, now go help somebody else. And one of his students came and, and, and messaged me and told me that, you know, he was going through something. And at a certain Shabbaton, Rabbi Walsin introduced him to um, Rabbi Walsing was introducing to a certain person. He says, this guy is going through something similar. You could help him. And this, this boy went and he sat with him through the center for hours to go and to, to like talk to him and help him. He says, listen, I went through something similar that you went through. 
And now the, this, you know, his student told me, he says, Baruch Hashem, this guy was able to get out of a situation and he's doing better than ever. Because when you go through something, you connect to somebody else that went through that, that, that issue. So for whoever, whatever you went through in your life, you have that ability to go and help somebody else in that, in that aspect. And I want to finish off with one final thought, and then we'll open up to questions. You know, Rabbi Wallerstein went, and this is also a clip that was going around. So they said, you want to know what the tragedy of death is? That's what he speaks about. He says, the tragedy of death is that that ends somebody's potential. While you're alive, you have a potential. Because if you think about it, it says, why do we mourn a tzaddik? A tzaddik is going to a better place. He's going to Olam Haba. He's going to the best place. It's, a going, it's, it's imagine he's going to, to a five-star resort. Why would we mourn for him? And Rabbi Wallace goes on and says, I don't know why we mourn. He says, we mourn because that tzaddik doesn't have potential anymore. He's no longer able to accomplish anything. The greatest tragedy in life is the end of potential. That's the greatest tragedy in life. This is words from Robert Wallace, not mine. So I'm going to ask each and every one of you, each and every one of us, what are we doing with our potential? What are we accomplishing? Did you put a smile on someone's face? Did you help somebody? Did you sit and learn instead of wasting time? Did you dress more modestly? Did you treat your wife with respect? Did you treat your children with respect? Like, what are we doing with our potential? Unfortunately, people that pass away, the potential is over. But Baruch Hashem, we're still around. We're still here. So the question that we all have to ask ourselves is what are we doing with our potential? May this class be a for his neshama. May it just go higher and higher with the amount of amazing stuff that he did for the entire Klali Shal. And I hope this class gave you a little bit of a glimpse of who he was. And I guarantee you there's going to be so much more stories that are going to be coming out of what he accomplished in this world in a mere 64 years. And I have to tell you, the past few days were very hard for me. He was the king of Kirov. This is something that I hold very dear to me. He was the king of it. Accomplished so much. While his shoes are too big to fill, we can each do something, something to help somebody else in his merit, to help fill the void that we all have now because he is no longer with us. May also the family have a complete nechama and be able to really, you know, get through this. We'll open up to, for, for questions now. Okay. Um, the safer is the Kabayashar, as I mentioned. Oh, I don't know if there's a problem with the with the donate button, but but try again later if they're having a problem over there. Okay, next thing we have over here, I've heard in Robert Wallace's name in passing, but never was really involved in program or work. Of course, this is a huge loss, but what do I do if I don't really feel it intellectually? I know the tragedy that hit Kalashal, but emotionally, I can't seem to make myself really feel this. What can I do to allow this to really affect me and to grow and to learn? That's a good question. So there's a lot of things that I could come out to that, but because of the late hour, I do want to mention what I think that you should do is listen to a few of his classes. Listen to, just pick anyone, right? It doesn't matter. They're all great. You know, just, just listen to who he was. But the truth of the matter is that whenever there's a righteous person that passes away, 
if we're not affected by it, it's a very big problem. It's very, very important that that Kalal Yisrael, that, that all of us, when when a tzaddik passes away, we have to be affected. We have to mourn the loss. It's a very, very big thing. Okay. Um, can you please post the WhatsApp chat link you mentioned earlier when you have a chance? Yes. Can somebody, um, let me see, if I'm able to, I'm going to try doing it now um, and, and posting, the, uh, posting the link. If anybody could do it, I'm going to see if I can sign up on WhatsApp here and post the chat. There, you can, it, we have our classes posted over there with all the details. Okay. Um, okay. I know there's a few things. I'm sorry that there was a, um, uh, you know, a little bit of a bad connection. But please, you know, like instead of going over with, we have a few questions I want to get through and I want to end this. So without being so, so late, we will be to post it online. So you could uh, see anything that you missed on, uh, you know, online. Okay. Next, uh, next question over here. Oh, before we have, before we have the question, I'm posting the link. Um, for the chat, so it's being posted in the in the message. If you want to join, you could um, you could hit that link. Okay. Uh, next question is where are we over here? Okay, Amen and all the brachos. Okay, why do we cover our eyes when six Do you have a class on Yichud? If some if you bought somewhat something. During the Omer, can you wear it on Shabbos and wear it on? Okay, these are all great questions, but I'm sorry, I have to like skip over. Usually, I have to say this. Usually, um, we go through any Q and A during during this time. But now I'm going to try to minimize that, just because I do have to run. But we're going to try to answer as as few questions. But I'm I'm sorry, I usually don't skip. For anybody who wants, you could go and ask the question. First of all, you could ask me privately. You could send it to me. Um, I you know I'm, I'm sure most of you have my my cell phone. You could send it to me, and I'll message you privately. But I do have to run very shortly. But I do want to answer whatever questions we have over here that's related to the topic. Usually, it's open to anything. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, a lot of questions that are not related to this. Um, okay. Here we go. How, did one, how does one balance the feelings of the loss of a topic to not fall into sadness or depression? The world seems much darker without Rabbi Wallace and Rabbi Kamenetsky. Should we feel these are signs of Mashiach is very close? Number one is yes. Number two is you should feel the loss of a topic. Um, it is a darker place. You're right. The world is a different world than it was last week, and there was, you know, a month and a half ago before Rabbi, Rabbi, um, uh, Rabbi Chaim Kanievsky passed away. But what we need to do is we need to pick up the pieces, and we need to move forward. We need to do things that they used to do. We need to increase in our learning. We need to increase in our chesed. Okay. I know that at the time of Mashiach, Hashem takes the tzaddikim because he doesn't want them to see the suffering, but the tzaddikim like Rawalsi would want to help the nation, and also the test of Mashiach will be much greater, and we will definitely need more help now than ever. Why would Hashem let the tzaddikim stay? So that's a great question, and there's really a lot to say in that, um, but I'll tell you, you know, it's not always related to what Mashiach. Sometimes a person's tafket is done, Sometimes a tzaddik's a kapara for the nation, for the for the for the for the, for the Jewish nation. Sometimes there is a lot more that comes into play. So there's a lot more that comes into play than that. Okay. There. Okay. There's a few more questions. We're gonna do one more, and then we're gonna have to stop. The truth is, I only have to stop for five minutes, so I could leave and then come back, and we can continue questions. But um, I do have to do something very quickly for five minutes. 
right now, but I'll finish off with one final question, and that is, are there any Rabbanim that takes place of Rabbi Kanievsky? And to be honest, I don't know if there's anybody that could take the place of Rabbi Kanievsky, but there are G'daylim in Eretz Yisrael. Um, you have Rabbi Gershon Ellison, you have a few G'daylim that are, you know, uh, the Gadol of, of Klal Yisrael, and that are stepping up, but but again, like Rabbi Chaim, I don't know if anybody else exists. I want to thank you all for joining. I'm sorry for rushing the questions. Usually we go and we sit as long as you need, but I do need to run for a few minutes and I could come back. I'm not going to hang up. So if you want, uh, I could come back and we could uh, discuss something more. But for now, I want to thank everybody for joining. I want to thank everybody for, um, um, you know, coming to the class. And this should be a merit to Rabbi Zachariah Wallerstein and the entire family and the entire class. And don't forget the purpose of these types of classes is not only to hear about it, but to do something. So everybody can take something else out, but please, what I ask of each and every single one of us is please take something personally. Take something and do something for the neshama of Rabbi Chaya Shimon ben Yitzchak HaKayin. Yashikayev, thank you all for coming. A little bit of recording on this. Um, but, okay, so so regarding other questions, personal, doing per- something personal. So you can do things that, first of all, you can do anything that you want. Anything that you want for his neshama. If you want to do some things that are maybe more closer to him, um, he put out a safer on uh, on Hakar Satov. Hakar Satov was huge, huge for him. And uh, I think maybe something like that. Maybe focusing on Hakar Satov. Okay. I'm aiming for the next question. Okay, next thing is we have an idea of something to take on is to do something Sneeud related. Rabbi Wallace often spoke about Sneeud and reminded us to try to feel Hashem's presence with us at all times. Is this how you want to speak, dress, and behave in front of the Almighty? That's also a very, very important and great idea of Sneeud wise. Uh, there's another question. I'm just asking, do we have any pics uh, from his family? No, I, no, I don't have any pictures of, the, of this family. Um, I'm sorry about that. Okay, yes, uh, very true. Okay, fine, okay, fine, next. Another idea is to spend our time more wisely, less internet uh, or smartphone time. As we know, Rabbi Zachary Wilson did have a flip phone. That is very true. Um, a bit off topic, but a bit comforting. It is true that Piyasa Mason must start by 2030 because of Zohar and Lashem says... So, or could they be wrong? So there is an ad, there is an idea that a certain amount of time before the year 6,000, it's, it's not 230, it's a little bit after that, uh, if I'm not mistaken, if my memory serves it correctly, but there's a certain, there's a certain idea that there, uh, you know, obviously a pichazal, that Chiesa Mason is supposed to start in a certain period of time, and that's, you know, Emirates Hashem within all our lifetimes, within, within the, I'd say within about 10, uh, 15 years or so. So um, that is something that, can they be wrong? It's very, very difficult. When we deal with things from a Shiach, when we deal with, you know, there, there's a lot to speak about it. And if you look at my classes, we gave about, I think it was over 20 classes on Mashiach or close to 20 classes on Mashiach on, on different, you know, ideas of Mashiach. When you're dealing with predicting of when Mashiach will come, it is very, very difficult because a lot of things that Chazal speak about is an opportune time for when it would come. Not that it has to come. But this particular, um, this particular, uh, you know, Chazal that, that was supposed to start, I think that's more straightforward. But again, you know, the way that the Rambam goes and explains it, that we will know Mashiach when, we will understand all the predictions, everything when, once Mashiach comes. 
Okay. Um, yes, uh, we could do off questions, uh, off topic questions now. Um, my thing that I need to do took out uh, less. Uh, no, Shiva is not on on uh, Shabbos. Okay. Do you mind going in? Uh, do you, okay. Next question we have here is: Do you mind going deeper into reasons Sadiqim are passing away before Mashiach? It really doesn't make any sense to me that Hashem would take the people who are upholding the nation right when we need them the most. Also, everyone wants to see Mashiach. Why would Sadiqim? Why should Sadiqim be any different? Should we do, should we ask to die before Mashiach and come back to Chas Mason if that's the not sure what the next word is. Hashem does for his most beloved tzaddikim. Okay, so this is a very, very good question. So the question really is, is that you have these tzaddikim that literally give everything for Kalashal, and then they pass away before Mashiach comes. So the real question is like, why? Why can't they stick around for when Mashiach comes? So they're, they're, it's very difficult to be God's accountant. And I shouldn't say it's difficult. It's impossible. We can't be HaKadosh Baruch accountant. We can't try to figure out and be like, okay, why did Hashem do this? You know, and in fact, when you speak about Rabbi Wallace, he spoke so much about Mashiach. He was so connected to his Amunah, his Bitachan, his, you know, the idea of Mashiach was, he was so connected to it, how he wanted to serve in the base of Migdash. So like, you know, the question does get further, but the, the problem is that we're asking questions on HaKadosh Baruch And we can't. We can't. There's no, we, we don't know the, the cheshbanis. We don't know the calculations. We can't be Hashem's accountant. We can't start asking questions that we don't know the answer for. We don't know, like, is it possible that, you know, we know that Tzadikim passed away as a kapara, as an atonement for the Jewish nation. Who knows what would have happened if not for that? Tzadikim passed away because their tafkid is completed and they don't need to be here any longer. Tzadikim passed, there's so many different reasons and one, once we try to understand something that we can't begin to understand, we fall into this wormhole that is not healthy. So yes, you know, we have questions. And yes, we'll always have questions. But one of the most important things that we have to realize is that even though we have questions, we know we're not the one in charge. We know we're not Hashem's accountant. We have questions. Why? So young, 64 years old. Accomplished so much more. Accomplished so much in the you know the, the years that he was here. Imagine what he accomplished, and it was just you know the momentum was just growing. We don't know. No one can tell you. Because Rachel decided that it's time for him to come back, go back to bring his neshama up there. Okay. Um, I have yeah. a little further on that question. Uh, I heard that it's also for like a chassad to the tzaddikim, kind of like how. Um, Abram died when Esau was satisfied because, like, he didn't want to see the sins that he was doing. So, what, um, if this is a chassad to the tzaddikim, then perhaps, like, it's I'm saying the Tower of Mashiach isn't going to be all uh, like you know blowing the shofar and then everyone's there. There's going to be war and stuff. Is it possibly better to daven that we pass away before Mashiach and then just come back with the tzaddikim uh, to Esau? So, okay, that's a good question. Should we pass, should we dive into not be in the Chedle Mashiach, the suffering of Mashiach? And the answer is no. You should not dive in that you will die before your time. That's definitely, you want to dive in, not only that you should, you want to dive in, you should have a long life, more than your time. And, and the truth of the matter is, we really don't know, when we look at the big picture, no, yeah, Abawasin died, you know, passed away young, 64. But we don't know if he was supposed to, you know, pass away earlier. And because of his chosen, he was, he was granted extra years. I mean, we, we don't know that. We don't know the whole, all the calculations. 
But definitely we don't want to ask to be taken away early. If a Baruch Hu put us in this world, there's a reason we're here and we have to accomplish something. We have the opportunity, the potential, the, the ability to do something. And we have to utilize that. We have to utilize our potential. Also, just on, what does the Kavayashar speak about? The Kavayashar is a sefer that speaks um, about Musar. It speaks, it's very Kabbalistic. It's a, it's a Kabbalistic sefer that, that speaks about Musar and different ideas from a, from a Kabbalistic perspective. Uh, some of the things are difficult, are scary to read, but I, I think it's it's very very important. Me, me and my wife, we both finished it cover to cover, and uh, they, it, you know, you could buy them in in a, every farm store. There's an English for it. They did a they did a fantastic job in translation of it um, in English, and um, it's it's really something that it gives you a perspective from a from a very very serious Kabbalistic angle. Um, but it's more focused on the Musar and, you know, different things of, of that nature. Where does the whole, like, Kabbalah come from in the, the Torah? Kabbalah was always, Kabbalah was part of the oral law. Kabbalah came, Kabbalah is not something new. Like, so, so the idea of Kabbalah, so we had Moshe Rabbeinu that got the, the Torah from Har Sinai. So we know we had the Torah Shebech Ksav and Torah Shebaal Pet. We have the written Torah and the oral Torah. So the written Torah was written. You know, we have the Chamishi Chamishi Torah and later the Nadim the, and the Ksuvim. So we have the written Torah. Then came the oral Torah. The oral Torah was always in existence, but it was always done orally. And then when Rabbi Rabbi Huda Nasi came around, it went into it went into writing. And then when the Gemara came, whether Ravina or Ravashi went into into writing also. And eventually, all the oral law came into writing. Kabbalah is part of the oral law, part of the Torah Shabbal Peh, but it was a sort of of more select people that would receive it. Meaning that the way that Torah Shabbat Peh was given over. It was given over to everybody. He wanted to learn, you know, the Gemara aspect. Everybody was able to learn it. But Kabbalah was more for people that were on a higher level. Kabbalah is something that gives you the secrets, the underlining reasons, the, the underlining ideas to many, many things, to creation, to Torah, to mitzvot, to the body, to the soul, to the mind, different things that gives you the, 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 the depths, the secret of it. And it wasn't for everybody and still not for everybody. Uh, so it was always given, the, the Kabbalah was given from Moshe Rabbeinu also. It was just given to a select few and that select few was given to another select few. So it was more of a, it's more of the, I don't know if secretive is the right word, but that's the word that it's used a lot. But it was more, you know, selected, uh, you know, people that were, people that were on a high enough level that were able to comprehend it, to understand it. Really, if you want to learn Kabbalah, you have to know, call it Tarakula, you have to finish the Gemara, you have to finish the Nach, you have to finish everything, and then you can begin to start it, starting, you know, Kabbalah. But Kabbalah is very, very complex. And if you don't have a very strong foundation in Tarshav Apet, Tarshav Eksav, you know, the, the, all the, everything else, you have a very hard time learning it and understanding it. It's a very big problem when now all these Kabbalah centers came out and they started, you know, they, they put a mockery to all what the, you know, Kabbalah really stands for. But in any case, uh, Kabbalah always existed. It's not something new. It's not something that came out. It was from, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's from Moshe Rabbeinu. Thank you. Of course. Okay. Uh, the next uh, thing we have here is more like a comment. He was also involved in publishing a sefer on Kivra Aim, right? That's true also. Kivra Aim, he did, I believe, two Sfarm, Kivra Aim and, um, 
and Hakar Satov, and Emirates Hashem soon there's going to be a safer coming out in the Parsha that is being worked on. Uh, I don't know if I'm supposed to be saying that, but I know that's something that's that's being worked on behind the scenes. It's been worked on for a while already, based on the Shirim. So there are Emirates Hashem things that will be uh, coming out also. So it is something that you could work on, keep it up, aim, Hakar Satov, so on and so forth. Okay. All uh, right. Um... Okay, so here we have another topic. What is the Torah perspective on Israel nowadays? So this is a question that was mentioned before and I wasn't able to answer because I had to run off. But um, the Torah perspective on Israel, um, first of all, the, the, that question is really loaded and, and can really go in different different ways. Uh, so I don't know which angle you're you're asking on, but I'm assuming it's about living in Israel and, and going to Israel and, and things like that. So... Um, by all means, the, the, the majority of the G'daylim, uh, you know, are in Eretz Yisrael. And the majority of the, of the high yeshivas are in Eretz Yisrael. Eretz Yisrael, you know, from the aspect of the Torah world, Eretz Yisrael is, you know, the place to be. And it is the, um, the Kedusha capital of the world and where we should all strive to be. That being said, not for everybody is it beneficial to go and move to Israel if you're in a good place in America and your kids are in school and there's a lot of different aspects that you do need to speak to your to your rub. But um, I hope that answered your question. I hope I went to the right angle. But if not, you could ask it, ask it again, but that's just a general understanding. Oh, here is the question of the, okay, the contact information of the couple I was talking about. So I can't give you the contact information. I could give you the name, but I'm being recorded. I, rec- I started the recording again after the break. We had, remind- as soon as I stopped the recording, I'll tell you the name, but uh, I can't give you the contact information. I don't know um, if if that's supposed to be going around. Um, it was in Australia. It was in over here. I, I don't know what the situation is nowadays. And it's not something that you could just, uh, um, you know, go and be like, hey, Rabbi, read my palm, type of thing like that. Okay. Um, okay, here we go. Why do we cover our eyes when we say Shema Yisrael? Uh, when we, okay, well, when we cover all Machel Shema and we cover our eyes. Next question is we have a class in Yichud. We have multiple questions over here. Okay, if you bought something new on the Omer, can you wear it on Shabbos and then wear it during the Omer? Okay, let's go work backwards. Uh, when you buy something new, you should not wear it until after, um, after, after Sphira, after the Omer. You shouldn't wear anything new, not even on Shabbos. Uh, can you in certain areas speak to your local Orthodox rabbi in certain situations? Maybe there can be some leniencies, but generally not. Uh, do I have a class on uh, Yichud? Um, I don't believe I have anything online that I spoke about it. I don't believe so. I'm trying to think about it. Okay, uh, the next question is, why do we cover our eyes when we say Shema Yisrael? So, um, when we cover Ol Machel Shemayim, first of all, there is, uh, I'll give you guess the, 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 the very simple answer, and we won't go too much into it, but there is, it's, it's also for a purpose of Kavana. When you close your eyes, you have, you know, a certain kavana, what you're saying. Shema Yisrael Hashem Alakinu Hashem Echad. That is very important to have kavana during those things, and especially if you know, do a little bit in Kabbalah, there's different, you know, machshavas that you're supposed to have when you say, you know, even, even different ways that your eyes are supposed to move, during different words, different things that you're supposed to have, but, but, it really is for a uh, Kavana aspect. There are other reasons as well, but we won't get into it now. Next thing is, we have, it will be a great joy in Shemayim as well. The day Mashiach comes, and they will know that they're coming back to the Yemesh Mashiach. It is very possible that most of Kavana Mashiach is over, only Hashem knows. Agreed. I see it's not a question, it's a comment, uh, but yes, I agree, and I also, I hope so. 
Who do you think will be taking over the organization at the ranch? That's a good question. I don't know. From my understanding, I don't think. Uh, maybe he did, but I don't think Rabbi Wallstein appointed anybody. But maybe he did. From my understanding, he didn't, but hopefully he did. And Merit Hashem, it should be taken over, and it should continue and flourish the way that he would have wanted it to. Uh, would, you mind, would you mind recapping on the story with the boy hanging out of the park? And then I missed half of it. Okay, I, I believe that that's where I had some issues with the... Um, you know, with the with the, the internet over here, uh, but basically there was very very short because um, it, it will be up on on uh, you know Atari Time, Merchant and YouTube and whatever else, all other platforms, all other uh, you know um, Spotify and all the other uh, podcast uh, platforms. But the idea was that he was in the middle of the night, he was hanging out with an Jewish girl. And they were doing things that they shouldn't have been doing. And all of a sudden, the non-Jewish girl starts seeing things that weren't, that, uh, you know, the other, the boy couldn't see. Um, guy, uh, a guy there laughing. Like a very, very scary, uh, you know, when, when he described it. But, uh, he couldn't see it. And later she told him that he was very, she was, her family was very involved in Kishif and in dark arts and things that, of the Tumor, the Tumor world. And after that, he started having, very very weird stuff happened to him, and he's like a normal. He's a normal guy. Like I know him. He's not a guy type of guy that's type that's like uh, um, you know like would you know like like has like you know sees like these different things like a regular normal guy, and um, he. You know, he, he went over to Rabbi Wallace, and Rabbi Wallace, you know, told him, he gave, basically the story came out, and he ended up telling him that he has to do certain things, Kabbalistic things. He ended up doing the certain Kabbalistic things, and in Baruch Hashem, that all, uh, went away. Okay, next, if, uh, if hypothetically we can meet him, does he see women, the couple? Um, I don't know if he sees women, and I don't know if you can meet him. I don't know, I don't think he's in, he's in America, and I don't think he's been here for a while. Um, okay. Next. Oh, we're almost done with the question. Oh, I think we're almost done with the questions. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. I also want to know if the fact that we have a state now is a bad thing. Oh, not necessarily. No, it's not a bad thing. There was, you know, the Satmar sect that, uh, the, the Satmar Rebbe that didn't like the idea of the state of Israel, um, and kind of formed a little bit from that. But the real reason was because the, from my understanding, was because of the secular education. And again, I don't want to go into all the details that therefore I was not understanding uh, what I'm saying, but it was because of the secular education. But nowadays, I don't know if there's anybody that disagrees that the fact that there should be uh, anybody of legitimate standing uh, disagrees about the fact that Israel, the state of Israel should be there and it's a bad thing, rather it's a good thing. Okay, next. Um, Okay, well, the question is if I'll have another, a part two next week. So that's a good question. I, I was thinking about it. I really rushed through to, um, to get all the information in over here and I only had two days to speak about it. I don't, to, to, to gather all the information, I'm sorry. Uh, to, I don't know if there's going to be a part two. I don't think there will be a part two. Uh, but if for whatever reason I get a bunch of more phone calls and information about that I feel like there is a need for a part two, I will do a part two. But if not, then, then I think this will be, uh, it. Next question. Did, where, where am I over here? Okay. Did Rabbi Wallstein see the snake on him or was that the Makubal? No, that, that was Rabbi Wallstein. That was Rabbi Wallstein. Uh, that's the part that like really like, you know, that's like, you know, he realized who he was. Uh, okay. 
Uh, next, can the dark arts still be done? I thought when the miracles, uh, when, the, when the open miracle stopped, so did the dark arts because there was an even amount of good and bad. So that is correct. Um, uh, Rav Kamenetsky goes and speaks about that, the, that Zeluma Zen, how we deal with, with how there used to be magic and how there's no more magic, how there used to be the powers of demons and there's no more power of demons. That is correct that nowadays because we don't have that power of, of Kedusha, we don't have the power of Tumah. However, it still exists, but it's much more minimal, minimal compared to what it used to be. But there is still stuff over there. Again, it's mostly dealing with things and, and generally people that deal with these things, they end up getting hurt. They don't, they don't gain from it. Uh, I mean, like, physically. And, you know, forget about spiritually. That, obviously. All right. Thank you for the thing. Okay, I made... Oh, looks like... All right. Looks like that was the final question. All right. So, if anybody has any more questions, if not, then we will... Oh. Here's the next question. Do you do Kirov like Rabbi Zahara Wallace did? Um, uh, do I do a Kirov? I mean, I try. I try. And my, my focus is, is Kirov, but it's not only Kirov. I, I'll tell you... I'll tell you something, you know, personally, that um, when I started speaking, I took a lot of inspiration from Rabbi Wallace in the way that he did certain things and uh, the way that he spoke in a certain way. I, I did take a lot of inspiration, and I believe that and one of the reasons I want, maybe I should have mentioned this earlier, but one of the reasons that I wanted to get this type of class, that I owe him a lot of Akar Satov for the... In, not even like the guidance because my interactions with him were, were pretty minimal I mean I spoke to him you know quite a few times but minimal compared to what other people did but um, you know like from his classes from his understanding from his guidance even from the middle of time I did gain a little bit of a perspective the way that I want to go and in my life and um, it is something that uh, yeah I, I tried to do care of like he did um, and in Merit Hashem, if only I could live up to a percentage of what he did. Okay, looks like that was the final question. I want to thank you all for joining. Again, I want to remind everybody that with Merit Hashem, we do have a class every single week. The link is, uh, you know, up there for everybody if they want to join the WhatsApp group. And I'll post it again if anybody wants to join the WhatsApp group uh, to be posted of when we'll have the classes, the next classes, and the topics, and things like that. So again, I want to thank you all for joining. Um, and for sticking through that, uh, the little break that we had. And in Meretz Hashem, you know, we should see Mashiach b'meher b'ameinu, and we'll be able to be reunited not only with Rabbi Wallerstein, but with uh, Rabbi Chaim Kanievsky and all the Gedalim and all the Tzadikim, and be able to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the base of Mikdash b'meher b'ameinu. Thank you all. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.